2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to break down USC's 28-14 loss to the Washington Huskies on the road. The road woes continue for the Trojans, so we'll break that down. Plus, we're fresh off of Clay Hilton's conference call it was a short conference call, not much to really to talk about at this point in the in the season. It's kind of put up or shut up at this point. Uh, we're not sure also if there were some technical difficulties, so that might have played into it, but it was a short conference call nonetheless. Uh, and we'll talk about going forward. What does this mean for the Trojans heading into the bye week? What do they need to fix? They're going to face a tough Notre Dame team after their bye week, and so uh, it's, it's uphill for USC at this point. Uh, and of course... We're your therapist. Free therapy for the hour. Wherever you're watching this, comments, questions, concerns, put it wherever you're watching: uh, YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope. You can also tweet at us Hashtag #tunnelvision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen, and you can also call call us. We already have a caller on the line, which is exciting. Five uh, one two four tunnel. Uh, your comments, questions, concerns—like I said, call us, talk to us. We love hearing from you guys. But guys, like I said, a lot to break down. Uh, uh, Shotgun, you were not there on the sideline, uh, which is sad. No, hurt, <laughs> no, heard
0: it on the sideline this week for you. I know
2: it's true. Uh, but Ryan, you were there, which is fun. I was. I got questions when I saw people in the airport. They're like, "Is Ryan here?" And I was like, "He is. He's somewhere." It's
0: funny. We go in there. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a fun trip to Seattle. I like going. I got to see some friends that you know from up there. And overall, it's fun. I didn't. Ever, I don't think I got rained on the entire time. Our buddy Chris Trevito, unfortunately, went to one of the high school games and uh, he got like hailed on and stuff. But <laughs> for the most part, it was right. It was chilly, definitely cold in, uh, in Husky Stadium and very loud um, with the open yeah. air press box If these garage door things. They open them up. It, the wind was just, it's like a wind tunnel in there, just howling. You're doing interviews after the game. Wind is just whipping through there and stuff. It's pretty crazy situation. Much different result, obviously, than uh, when we were there. In two, well, I was there in 2016. True. Uh, Keely, this was your first. Congratulations! You've, you've completed your Pac-12. Uh,
2: I did it, guys. I went to every Pac-12 stadium. So, and I think I saved one of the best for last. Husky Stadium was really cool. The the water and the the tailgating, the sailgating, if you yeah, will. It was really cool.
0: It was, but this was a different feeling kind of game. And there, you know, it's almost similar to the Utah game from last week, besides being home on the road. I don't think Utah played very well. They looked great in their game yesterday, uh, beating the crap out of uh, Washington State. They didn't play well against USC. I don't think Washington played well against USC they you know they didn't play great against Cal um you know in that loss they they smoked everyone else but they didn't play well in this game against USC and USC did a couple things that we thought were really important much better they ran the football as good as they've run it all year over 200 yards all three running backs were good you wouldn't say oh you got to do step or car like they all had good runs and the USC secondary that was completely beat up and Greg Johnson doesn't even get the start. He doesn't play the first quarter because he's out because of a uh, breaking a team rule. You have the true freshman coming off, you know, knee surgery. Uh, Max Williams in there getting his first start. Forces a fumble. He makes good plays. They're playing one of the best quarterbacks in the in the conference in Jacob Eason, and the secondary does a really good job despite you know not having Talanoa Hufanga and having Elijah Griffin. They tackled pretty well in this game. It wasn't great, but it was better. And so I thought they'd be a, be a real issue, not being able to tackle with Hufunga out there
2: and OG too as well.
0: And Elijah Griffin for sure. And to but overall those aspects USC played better than expected, and those were really important aspects. And you still lose by two touchdowns. And you know obviously the three turnovers are a big deal. I think USC's minus seven uh, on the season, but it. The stats weren't as lopsided as they were in Utah's favor last weekend when USC ends up winning. The stats were pretty even, and USC did things well that we thought they wouldn't do well and still end up losing by a couple touchdowns. So it's just more of like head-scratching, same sort of thing. And to score only 14 points with this kind of talent, I mean, it, I think you might talk about this, but uh, some of this has to be on Graham Harrell because you have way too much talent to uh, only score 14 points. It looks too much like last year.
3: I thought I didn't think that they had a great game plan. You know, offensively, the play calling I thought could have been better. You know, just a lot of times when there are five guys in the box and they decide to throw the ball still. You know, you know they're going to be dropping eight. Uh, you know, you're throwing into. You know, some stressful situations putting Matt Fink in, in those situations when they were running the ball so well. It wasn't like Utah. If Utah would have, in the fourth quarter, went to three man front and, you know, you've just been struggling to run the ball the entire game, that would have been different. They were running the ball well. Yeah. I would have ran the ball more. Like I would have had to check it at the line of scrimmage. You know, anytime we see them in a fight where there's five men in the box, Matt Fink, you go to the line, you count. Okay, yeah. is there five guys here? Now Washington wanted to change your looks. They wanted to do some different things, but you know, force them to come out of things. You know, I, I just didn't feel like they did that enough. They had opportunities because they're running really, really well. With you know, especially Stephen Carr had a really big game. Marquise Step was running downhill. They were doing some things really nice in the run game. I would have continued doing it. And I know it's it's hard to not throw the ball when you have Tyler Vaughn, Ross, St. Brown, and Michael Pittman, but. You know, if they're giving you that look, I, I think you just got to continue to pound it, pound it, pound it. And you know, they you saw Washington switch their looks up a lot. You know, they talked about that on the broadcast a lot. They're switching there. You know, they're doing these different things. But their safeties are playing 15 yards off the ball, which tells you no, you can't throw that deep
0: right. pass over the middle. They're but, trying to take that away. Yeah,
3: yeah, and you can't throw the deep balls as much as you as you wanted to, what you were able to do against Utah. But that means you can run the ball and force those guys to start creeping up because you're getting six, seven yards every time. Or throw screens, wide receiver screens. I thought that was a play that they could have run a lot more of. Force those safeties to come up and and participate in the play rather than sitting in the very back. And the only time they really do anything is when you get 15 yards down the field or they're catching the long passes you're trying to make. So I didn't think their safeties – Cam Williams got two interceptions, but – he didn't really do much else besides, you know, he, he got in trouble on the Pittman touchdown and that was because they had been running the ball really well. He was looking at the play action fake and that's why Pittman ran right by him. You know, there were opportunities there where if you continue to run the ball, the safety start paying more attention to that and that opens up those long passes a little bit more or just forces them to come down the box and gives you a little bit more space to throw those deeper throws and stuff. Yeah.
2: Now when it came up to the turnovers and uh, Clay Helton said that that's essentially why they lost the last uh, two games, BYU and UW. And turnovers were something that Clay Helton had specifically highlighted. And thing he had highlighted in the offseason are, are penalties. And both of those are not doing so well five games into the season. And Clay said it's a great learning lesson for the team. But what does it say that you're still learning halfway through the season things that you had earmarked heading into the season?
0: Yeah, that, so this was coming. The, the post-game press conference was uh, rather disappointing. Um, just some of the things that he was saying about playing hard and It it just wasn't, it just, it's not, it's not ringing true. It's just, it feels very hollow that this is not the time to be like, this is a young team. They, you know, mentioning it basically, he was trying to highlight anything he could to be like, but we beat Utah last weekend, which means we have the leg up in the Pac-12 South. So sort of like relying on that, that this was a Pac-12 North loss, doesn't matter as much. And to me it's like you lost to BYU, uh you weren't very competitive uh at Washington losing by two touchdowns, you know, scoring only 14 points. You could argue whatever happened. Um I mean there's a lot of issues there. I don't I think the same kind of coach speak is just it's falling on deaf ears and USC fans are very frustrated. Um I you know, I met a fan today at uh, uh on the airplane. I was just sitting down to getting to my seat and I mean doesn't introduce who he is just says is this clay helton's last game you know and he you i mean he was talking he talked to him after the after we got off the plane and just how frustrated he was bringing his son there something he cared so much about for his whole life and it's the, just the sense of apathy now he just doesn't care and he's not hearing it from clay helton he wants him to come up and say something at least like hey man we should have won this game we're gonna go back and we're gonna like do double, two-a-days or whatever. You will know, do something to, like, change it up. And, you know, on the conference call, it was the shortest one we've ever had, like Keeley mentioned. Uh, Dan Weber posted on uscfootball.com. And over a decade, this is the first time he hasn't asked a question on the conference call. He just doesn't know what to say anymore because you just get the same kind of words over and over again. And one question I thought was somewhat relevant was, you know, kind of a, a, a way of asking, are you going to do stuff, you know, just kind of fix try to fix the mistakes, fix the little things, or is there something bigger that you could do? like a, a a bigger change with the,
3: with the bye week coming up? With the bye week, yeah. and
0: Clay was sort of just like, "Yeah, we're you know, we're this close, we're di-. and and it just wasn't the right. It's not been the right answer. Fans know it. They're not and to, you know Keeley mentioned this before to say you lost on the road to two good teams. BYU is not a good team. Uh, they're two and three. You know, one of the wins over USC. They just lost to Toledo. Like BYU oh, wow. is not a good team. Yeah. So you, it's just some of that stuff is like. It's disingenuous, and I think a lot of the fans feel they're being patronized. Where he's mentioning things that you know the real story behind it. It wasn't, you know, two tough road games, and uh, so I, I feel like he's definitely lost the fan base at this point. And it's, it, you know, the more people we talk to, and we we get to talk to a lot of people on the road. We had an awesome meetup at the uh, Allen Thistle. Thanks for everyone that came out. Um, yeah, we had over hundred people there. We wow. we organized it the day before we left, so uh, we did mention it on the show. And just talking to so many people how frustrated they were uh, with the program and and, and with Clay Helton, and it's, and it's tough. Uh, I felt like we were in a sense of purgatory a lot of last year. And then this year, like Keeley said earlier, it was like a put up or shut up. It was like a prove it kind of thing. And so far, you haven't been proving anything. And you're using the same kind of terms that you were using before. So I... To me, it just it just doesn't seem like this is working right now, and I I don't know where you can go from here besides making a change.
3: It seems a lot of times in Clay Helton's, especially the the post game pressers, is that when you really want him to focus on what didn't go well or what did go well in one game, he, he talks about the broader picture. But then when you when you talk to him on a Tuesday or Wednesday, when you want to talk about the broader picture, then it goes it goes to the super you know super <laughs> simplified. Uh, so and maybe that's because you know he's kind of deflecting to an extent. You know with with that maybe that's his. Strategy, or maybe that's just, you know, how uh, it happens, whether he's intentionally trying to do that or not. But when you wanted some specific answers after the game, you know, why didn't you run the ball a little bit more? Probably you, the big plays obviously on defense really hurt them. The 89 yard run, the the turnovers are the biggest thing, obviously. You know, that the three interceptions, if you don't throw three interceptions yet, you pick up the fourth, you know, your fourth and goal, you go for it. You know, there's a this is the one time when that I would agree when he goes, you know, it's. A couple of plays here or there, that type of game, this this could easily have been the other way. It was the same last week against Utah. A couple plays, Utah wins that game easily. Yeah. But instead, they fumble on the goal line. You know, USC, you know, they get a fumble at the goal line and Washington jumps on it. Yeah. For a touchdown. You know, Max Williams does a great job filling in the hole right there. A guy who's... Five nine, five ten, probably maybe, yeah. and you know, r- go sticks his helmet and shoulder pads right on the running back. That was a great play by him, you know, and that takes some, you know, especially his first time play, and that takes some, some kind of heart to get in there and do that. So I, I was really impressed by that play and the ball bounce. I think, I think Peely actually kicks it. Uh, not knowing, as Chase Williams is trying to dive on it, yeah. it gets kicked and
0: you know it goes right to Washington. Andre Bichelli, it's Andre Bichelli, I think, yeah. jumped on it or whatever. Yeah.
3: And so you know, if if somehow USC recovers that one and then they score on the fourth and goal, it's it's basically a tie game at, at that point. So it it was one of those type of games where the the close plays didn't go USC's way. You got to create a couple more of those. Yeah. Um, but that's what happens with with, you know, similarly talented teams. I just thought that Washington did a better job of executing their game plan, and especially the turnovers. USC now is negative seven. When Clay Helton said before the season, said in the spring, he was going to take a step back from the offensive side. He was going to focus, you know, on the team. They were going to focus on turnovers and penalties. There was going to be the two things, and they got some atrocious penalties in that game. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with the 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 way some of those were called. Like the spike on Matt Fink, I never saw that on the broadcast. I don't know where that was. Talano- he did spike it. Talonohu Funga being a yard on the field and getting a 15-yard penalty. But those really, really hurt. So you get the turnover, and then suddenly you have a 15-yard penalty on it. So instead of being at the 40-yard line, you're at the your own 40-yard line, and you get, a, I think, a holding on a couple plays later. Yeah. So suddenly you're backed up on what should have been a drive that you're going to score. So the things that they were supposed to be focusing on, that Helton was going to take that you know, overarching look, they're struggling with right now.
2: Yeah. And yeah. now
3: it obviously hurts that you have – two young quarterbacks that have stepped in and have thrown three interceptions themselves. And that's kind of what he said on the conference call. He kind of lent it to that. But you've got to overcome that. Then don't put them in situations where you're trying to make them throw over the middle against a team that's
0: dropping eight.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing you mentioned that as far as he talked about focusing on turnovers, talked about focusing on penalties, and neither of those areas have been good. I think John Wilner tweeted out, USC got penalties on people that aren't on the team each of the last two weeks. Reggie Bush and who <laughs> no, fuck. Well t- he's on the team, but weren't you know, weren't playing in the game. But I think the big word here is accountability. And that's a the, that was the buzzword that was used throughout the offseason. Everyone's yeah. going to be accountable and stuff. And I don't I when you say that and then what you're hearing now, I'm not hearing a lot. I don't know if you guys disagree. I'm just not hearing a lot of accountability. I'm hearing a lot about we're this close or blah blah and it's not you know what? I told you I was going to fix turnovers. And we've sucked at them. So this is what I'm going to do. And and you're not hearing that. I
3: agree. I, I think it's something that you did. If that's going to be your focus. And I thought that what they did in the offseason, what they did in the spring and the fall camp was a great step. Yep. You know, they were struggling at those things. So they worked on it. They did the turnover circus. You see the guys trying to rip the ball out. They've created some fumbles and stuff. But you, you got you to do it on the other side, too. You got to be able to take care of the ball on the offensive side. And they have not done that very well. Yeah.
2: Now, as far as accountability goes, I, I feel like a little bit we've seen some accountability. We don't know what's happening behind closed doors, but I don't know. I just feel like Clay Hilton's is not the type of person who's going to say those things to the media. That's just not who he is. So is it just a foolish thing to try and expect him to say it now at, at year four or whatever?
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm not seeing a lot of change as far as like, you know, the whole Greg Johnson, um, you know, whatever. We don't know the team rule really he broke. What team rule is it? Do you miss a quarter? Like would it, would yeah. he have missed the whole game had all those other guys not been hurt? Yeah, you know I mean that to me that there's questionable accountability there. I don't know. Have, have you ever seen a guy miss a quarter? Like usually, like you're Keely
2: missed half of the Texas game last year.
0: Yeah. So, it, but I'm not seeing like, hey, you committed a penalty, you're coming out of the game or anything like that. Uh,
3: which is something that was so. What's it did during spring and fall camp? Yeah. You're like, it will this carry over the season? And it's not. You're kind of thinking, like, that's not going to happen. But, like, if you get an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, those are grounds for removal from the game, in my opinion, where you get a holding call on an offensive lineman, you're not going to yank that guy out. But there are certain things that, like, if you're talking and, you know, running your mouth and you get a penalty, you know, the the Jack Jones or a Jenny Harris, you know, those penalties they've gotten in the past, like, those should be, like, you need to take them out immediately. If you have to play a series without somebody – you know, tell them they're hurting their teammates. You know, he says that all the time. When when you know, I t- I told him you know they're just hurting their teammates and you know they're not playing for their brothers when you make a penalty like that. Well, force them to sit out and watch them. And if it's if it's your best player, and then you, you give
0: f- up a, pl- a touchdown yeah. or something. And it's like they got they feel bad and you about go
3: over it. to them immediately and say, look, that's your fault. Yeah. You just did that. Yeah, I went on the field, coach. Yeah, that's why.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. But as far as takeaways, I mean, where does this team go? Three and two at the. At the halfway point of the season, heading into the bye week. Like we said, Clay Helton said he's not going to do major changes. It's just cleaning up things. He did say it's a good time for the bye week with injuries and whatnot. But if you're Clay Helton, how do you write the ship right now?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think you've lost the fan base, which is uh, important. Uh, you have a bye week. There's not going to be a whole lot of interest heading into the Notre Dame game. There's not going to be a lot of optimism. The only thing you can do is beat Notre Dame. Because if you don't, I mean, that's all that matters at this point. You have to beat Notre Dame. If you don't, you're three and three and you're coming home with an easier stretch of games for sure. But you're talking homecoming with Arizona, that's going to be dead. Like the Coliseum will be dead. Like people have lost interest. And Keely and I were kind of talking about this before. When we had that, just listening to Clay's conference call tonight was like kind of a surreal experience. You know, reading what Dan Weber wrote that he hasn't not asked a question in over a decade. And he was just done. He, he wasn't gonna ask a question tonight. I'm like, wow, like we weren't sure if he was just, if he forgot about the call or whatever, but he really he purposely did not ask a question. And it's sort of like when you're in this, if you're in a relationship and there's all this fighting and stuff going on, we were look, thinking about good analogies. This is good so,
2: You were, I just, yeah.
0: Yeah, but you know, you're in a relationship, there's a lot of fighting. There you care there's passion at least you know you know that there's something there when you stop fighting then you don't care anymore that's where it seems like the fans are and the people that we've talked to on these road trips or whatever where they're just like yeah you know it's just they're just kind of over it and there's a sense of apathy which is not a good word um you know you you want them to care and you want them to be and there's a lot of fans that are that are watching right now that because they're mad and you know we got really big numbers and people writing in questions and stuff, people calling in, but there's just a lot of people that are just over it. And they're like, you know what? Instead, I, you know, I really wanted to go to the USC game, but I'm going to go to my kid's soccer practice or something, or whatever it is. Like, not that you'd miss it, but you know, people would revolve their weekends around USC football and they're willing to walk away from that now and do other things. And you're in Southern California. There's a lot of other things you can do. The, the, The guy I talked to on, uh, uh, on the plane, he's like, yeah, you know, he took his son um, uh, fishing for salmon. They did, you know, they went skydiving. Like, his according to his son, they had, like, the greatest weekend ever in Seattle. Even though USC lost, it was sort of like, yeah, whatever. Like, And that's just, like, you can do that. And I, that's where I feel it's, a, it's bad for this program that that's where it's gotten. And I think there's some stuff in, you know, Clayton's control that he could kind of, you know, fix some of it. I mean, certainly on the field, there's things that you could do differently that... He seems pretty stubborn about not, you know, not wanting to do so that, you know, that's his prerogative. But even when you're addressing it afterwards, it's kind of the same message over and over again. And it's just, it's falling on deaf ears. I think with a lot of the fans,
2: you mentioned uh, callers, we have a full call queue. So we'll get to that soon, but I just want to push back a little bit, Ryan, on your point. You said that Notre Dame is a must win. I don't think it is because I can already see it playing out. They lose to Notre Dame, you know, it's a tough Non-conference game, but we still have a shot in the South. We still have a, a, a controller destiny to get to the Pac-12 championship game. I can see this being spun very easily, and and it not being that much of a must-win game.
0: I mean, that's exactly right. But you're going to be listening to the Clay Helton speak. That's and the that's, Helton
2: version. And of it. the
0: fans are don't don't care. Like the, when he's focusing on, you're this close against tough teams, and one of those tough teams is a team that just lost to Toledo, BYU. Like. They, they know that that's not true. And also, focusing on winning the Pac-12 South is not something USC fans grew up uh, wanting to do. Like, that doesn't matter to them. Like, it, winning, 2017, winning the Pac-12, USC fans don't look back on that season with uh, a lot of glee and like, oh, yeah, it was great getting smoked by Notre Dame and Ohio State. Like, no, that doesn't matter. So, Clayland's kind of grasping at what he can do right now. It really was... You got to make some kind of run and try to win a championship, and they're not doing that. So, yes, in the in the spin of things, it will be another out of conference loss if they lose. That doesn't matter, but it'll, it, the fans have already been lost. Like you're you're never getting them back. Losing to Notre Dame again.
2: Yeah, I guess I guess my point is that it just speaks to how much I think the goalposts have been moved of where this team should be, what the goals are, and, and the standard that you're setting for this team. And so I just I can see it being spun.
0: Yeah. In the future. <laughs> yeah, I think Clay Heldon setting a certain standard or trying to reset the standard to something lower than what the fans want and not even able to achieve that lower standard is like is really tough on the fans. I don't know, do you agree? What do you think, Shotgun?
3: I mean, I think they can beat Notre Dame. I'm just going to go ahead and say that now. I think that's a sure. that's a winnable game to go in, especially with an extra week of preparation. Uh, but I, I think what you would hear after it is going to be very similar to what Kelly said if they, if they do lose. Um, I think that the focus has been to win a Pac-12 championship. Now, if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, you have to win your conference championship to have a chance to playoffs. I mean, look at Notre Dame last year; they were you know fighting to get in. So you basically have to win your conference unless you're from the SEC. Uh, so that should be the first goal, but it should shouldn't be the main goal. That should be the first of three goals: conference championship, playoff, national championship. Um, but it's become the top goal for USC because that's become what is attainable. Yeah. Especially when you lose at the BYU, that's a terrible loss. If you go undefeated after that, you're well, gonna maybe, be you're yeah. gonna be in the conversation. But are you definitely gonna be in? You don't know.
0: Yeah. So like know, Ohio that, State lost to Virginia Tech that one year, right, and then made the the the, the playoff. But uh, Virginia Tech you was lost to a lot better a than BYU. Yeah. Uh,
3: but now two losses, you're not getting in the playoffs. So now what is attainable is the conference championship. So yeah. that's gonna be have to be their goal, but. Beating Notre Dame would be would take a long way to the overarching goal of for Clay Helton and keeping his job.
0: Yeah, because
3: you lose to them, that's another rivalry loss. Obviously, you're three and three. You know, your your seat becomes even more warm then.
2: Yep. Uh, let's actually go to our live callers because they've been waiting for a little bit. Um, hold on. Give me a second. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi.
1: Hi, This is Zach from PDX, and
4: uh, I had two questions. One is, why are we limiting the punter? I was uh, first
1: row in Seattle, and he was kicking from their 40 to the back of our end zone over and over again. And then the second question is, do you guys
4: think step is a better fit for the offense? Um, it just seems like they're using Vi and step in the same manner. But when step runs the ball, He's knocking people on the ground and then keeps going, whereas Vi gets tackled and then he just gets tackled. And
0: that's it. Thanks. Uh, Thank you, it, guys. Is it Zach? Was it Zach that he yeah. said? Zach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks for the call and thanks for calling in and uh, being patient. I thought in the beginning it was pretty bad. Uh, the first two punts netted so the twenty-four first yards. One was Twenty-five yards, I think. I think it was twenty-four, and the second one was like thirty-one with the return of set. Like they both netted twenty-four yards, and so those were bad. But then it got better. He punted better after that and you're seeing what we see in practice i can't tell you why if they're you know what's going on there but it does seem like there's some some coaching going on that maybe he's not doing enough and then they I, you you almost got the feeling that he was being coached the first two punts and then it was like just just punt it after that
3: yeah and which was interesting that this was a game that kind of let him go a bit because you know aaron fuller had just come off of a touchdown return punt return touchdown um, so it was like, is this the guy you really want to kind of let loose? But they did, you know, they, they trusted the coverage units a little bit more in this game and let him kick it a little bit farther, and even though there was the potential of a return, instead of basically 90% of his punts previously had been far, fair caught. Uh, so I, I thought it was a little bit changed there, and I, I even wrote down after the, the first punt is that he needs to change his target line when he's aiming for uh, the red zone punts because he's he's kicked – I'm gonna go back and look it up, but I, there's too many pooch punts that have landed between the 15 and 20 yard line they yeah. caught there. So his 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 target should be the five to 10 yard line because if it goes in the end zone, you, you get it at the 20. Yeah, so 17
0: or 20, who cares? You want to exactly. try to put him inside.
3: So yeah. so be a little bit more aggressive, and I think that's something that happened in this game is they let him be a little bit more aggressive there. Uh, I think that switch just happened after those first couple of punts. I
0: think the two punts netting 24 yards are like okay, this isn't working. Like, mm-hmm. but we've seen that it hasn't been working from. The first game, but, you know, whatever. It took, took a while to get that going.
3: I think maybe going forward, you'll see him, you know, kind of just extend his leg a little bit more and go for – and USC's punt team be a little bit more aggressive than we've seen.
0: Yeah. And for step, I mean, it depends on the game. I think there's different styles that work against different fronts, but they have three backs that all bring something different. They all worked well in this game, so I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about how any of the running backs – I mean, Vi had some really great plays. Stephen Carr, you got to see more of him like you saw the first couple games that yep. we didn't really see the last two.
3: I think it goes back to what I said last week, you know, looking at that Utah game was if you're going to create a hole, then Steven Carr needs to be in there because you see what he can do, you know, when he gets a little room. Whereas if there's no hole, Marquis steps probably a better option because yeah. he's going to burst through, you know, he's going to bang through a guy and fall forward for at least 3 or 4 yards. Vi's kind of the, the in between guy. Uh, there was a question earlier I, I'm missing it right now, but that uh, said why are we playing the first running back when the second and third running backs are playing better? And they wanted me to let you, you two guys enter it instead of me
1: entering.
0: Oh, I mean, I, I, in that game, they all played well. Like, That's I, what I you know, there's
3: not.
2: Yeah.
1: Do
3: you feel like if you, you asked this question last week? People would be like, "You're crazy." Stephen Carr sucks now because yeah. he didn't, you know, he didn't have a bunch of running room in the Utah
0: game. No, but he had better room. So, and it, he ran the ball really well. He had some huge plays.
2: All right, let's move on to our next caller. We got a lot of things to move on to, guys. Hello, you're uh, live we'll on television. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's Andrew in San Diego.
2: Hello, Andrew. Hey,
1: I just Andrew. Had a- Couple, Hey, how's it going, guys? So, number one, I don't think we have a single chance of beating Notre Dame with the way they're running the ball. And then number two, if Helton was relieved, uh, who on the staff could step up and take the reins? I mean, John
0: Baxter is the most senior, but is he even sane enough to coach the team? Thanks, guys. Say, I think he's sane, Andrew, but yeah. I don't know. Do yeah, I mean, you might have there, – there's not a lot of good options, and that's part of the problem.
2: We've answered this before. I think yeah. it would be Mike Jenks. Probably he's Mike Jinks. He's been head coach before.
0: He's the only one that's been a head coach, but it was two pretty bad years at Bowling Green.
3: I'll answer that question if it happens.
0: Yeah.
2: We have two questions already that say, I know Shotgun doesn't like hypotheticals, but, so at least you've made it known. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what was the first question? It was the...
2: He doesn't think uh, USC has any chance to beat Nerdy. Oh, uh, yeah, I think. I disagree with that. Yeah,
0: USC is super talented. Like, when you see Washington roll over teams, Utah rolling over teams, they can't do that to USC just, be, I mean, they're better coached. But the players, they don't have as good players as USC. So whenever you have athletes, it makes it tougher. Now Notre Dame, you know, USC could get boat raced. Uh, it could be two, three touchdown kind of game. But I, if they're in the game and have a chance to win it, I wouldn't be shocked either. So I don't, I don't think there's no chance. People think Clay Hilton's so bad of a head coach. There's no chance to win. USC could have beat Washington easily. They just play a little better because they have the players. Like the players are still there.
3: If you take away turnovers in both the Utah and the Washington game. I think USC probably played better against Washington. Yeah, I, th- I saw more positives in the Washington game than I did. In the, I in, would agree. In yeah. That, yeah. You know, the, the it's one a head
0: scratcher that USC beat Utah. Yeah, I know, the,
3: and the big positive was Michael Pittman's a beast. Yes. And Matt Fink came in and, and showed he wasn't scared. But there was a lot of things that have been confounding to USC, especially on the defensive side with the tackling issues that yeah. I thought they cleaned up in this game. A lot better. You know, if you build on that, and you have an extra week to to practice, and if you actually tackle in practice, then I think they could have a really good. You know, uh, you, you, you look- how could you suggest that?
0: <laughs> Why would you tackle in practice? Wait for the games, shotgun. Wait for the games.
3: I, if you if you build on what they did, you know they took better angles for the most part. the The touchdown run was the big, yeah, the big whiff there. Obviously the eighty nine yard touchdown. Chase Williams misses him in the hole. That's where you miss Talanoa Hufanga. Talano Hufanga is yeah. yeah. d- not missing many people. And then Isaiah Paul Mao. Took a bad angle and basically ran into the referee. And so, um, but otherwise, I thought their angles were much better this game. I thought they did a better job on the edge plays that have really they've really struggled with, and they even stopped a misdirection play for the first time. Oh. You know, getting the fumble on that because I, I wrote actually earlier in my notes is like every time someone runs a misdirection, the first time it fools USC because they ran something earlier in the game and end around or something, and you know got a, a good game yeah. out of it. Uh, but I, I thought they finally stopped I mean, the,
0: the trick play, well, the trick play was awful. Like, uh, that was terribly executed.
3: I mean, no, Chris Steele yeah, was it, right it, there. It, no, no it was terribly executed too. because Palli and Natiote blew it up. He, he took out the blocker, and that was when Hunter Bryant was trying to pitch it, so he got taken out two. He took out two guys with one, and that's why the throw was off. You know, that... That was a defensive play that was right. made. That's fair. I mean, you
2: can clearly tell who's had time to rewatch the game and who's been traveling. It's it's definitely shotgun. <laughs> I
3: rewatched the game on my phone while I was traveling today. Oh, yeah,
0: okay. but it was. I mean, it looked like it was screwed up from the start before Palier even got his head in there. Uh, but that just it just didn't seem like a well conceived play. But yes, good good job on him. To and and Chris Steele was right there. He was in the backfield to to clean it up and jump on it. So he was excited to get that. It was a big play. I mean, that was the only. Turn over the game that USC got. So it was, it was a big play.
2: Let's move on to our next caller in the queue. If it will load. Hello, you're live up. on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. What's
1: up? It's John from Glendora. Call.
2: John, we lost you. Oh, he just dropped out. Sorry, John. John, sorry. You can call us back. Call back. Another
0: Glendora guy. Yeah, well, no, he He's called before. He's the same yeah. Glendora guy. Yeah. But Matt Fink's from uh, Rancho Cucamonga, not Glendora. He went to Glendora High.
2: Oh, there we go. Correction. That's there. Still from
3: Gundor. If you still go to high thing. school there, though the same to me.
0: All right.
2: <laughs> um, let's move on to questions. Since we lost our caller, uh, Jacob on YouTube says, "Are these the same? Are these same mistakes getting old, as in penalties and not being prepared?"
0: Yeah.
3: Yes. And, and <laughs> it, it's it's very it's hard to you know look at it and I said last week is like is this just the team they're going to be? But we saw some improvements this year, this week. You know, a lot of the things I just talked about with the defense, in particular, that you can show some improvement. The offensive line showed some improvements going against the three-man front when they struggled so much against BYU and then the front of Utah. So, you know, there are some positives that you can take out of this game. I don't know what nobody really wants to take any positives out of this game, but there are some.
0: They don't. No, you're right. But it's it's one of those things where it's nice. And if this was not coming after a five and seven season where there weren't there wasn't time to have. Growing pains this season. There wasn't time for that. This year was time to win. Like there was all the changes you made after five and seven. There everyone wanted a bigger change, uh, changing the head coach. That didn't happen. So it was sort of this year, no time to like fix things whatever, just fix it all in the offseason and come out and win. You still had yep. the number four roster in the country according to 24-7 sports. You're more talented in every team you play, according to the recruiting rankings. No time to be three and two. No time to lose the BYU. So, yes, maybe making small improvements is fine, but, you know, it's like your house is burning down and you're hanging a picture or something. And it's like, oh, that, that, it, it was, that picture was it, – it took us months to hang that picture. It's great. <laughs> like, the back of the house is burning down. Like, who cares?
2: Um, sorry. John, we didn't hang up on you. It lost connection, so call back. Uh, He was angry. We didn't do it. Uh, But to your point... I think Keely
0: hung up on you, John. No, that's
2: false. (laughs) To Shotgun's point, and we had kind of talked about this before the show uh, started, in a vacuum, I don't think this game was that bad. But the problem is we're not in a vacuum. It's a no. greater context of Clay Hilton and the staff and the problems that have continued for seasons now. So that's where it's kind of this wishy-washy thing about this game where you're like, oh, they actually didn't prove there's – maybe it was turnovers like they're saying. But in the context, it just – you can't have another loss like this.
0: Yeah. Like if you were t- going to be 10-2 and two, but you lost this game, you're 9-3 and three, and, like, you just missed out on the Rose Bowl, you're going to, like, the Holiday Bowl or something instead. And I think all the things he said would make sense. But this is not – you can't do if that you in just this context. didn't lose to BYU, this game wouldn't look that bad.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You'd be disappointed for sure, but it wouldn't
0: be... You'd be like, it's fake, all is over.
2: third string quarterback injuries, et cetera. But, right.
0: But yeah. there's no... There's really no excuse. Like, people... Some people say that too. like, well, it was the backup quarterback. And you're like, no. Like, look, look, this is... No. You're, it, there's, the time for excuses have passed. You have to win. You have the good enough players to win. And if Matt Fink isn't as good as you want him to be, he's... this his fourth year in your program. You've coached him for four years. So... Uh if he's still around, and he is, and I, you know, he made some mistakes, but he balled out against Utah. He's playing his heart out out there. You know, you got to you got to give credit to Matt Fink for what he's trying to do, but that's on you as coaches for what, you know, you could have kept Jack Sears around if that was, you know, the case. And,
3: and also in a grander scheme, because they cannot blow people out, Matt Fink does not have more experience. Yes. You know, if sure. you have blown teams out the last three years, you know, he's gotten more than, you know, a handful of plays coming into this year. So, I think that played into it too. He, he he looked like an inexperienced quarterback in that game. There yeah. were a couple of throws that just. There was a couple of times where we left the pocket too soon. It was just things that were a guy making his first start on the road. Yeah,
2: yeah, which is a hard thing to do. Uh, Jasper Smith on YouTube says, "Why on earth would the coaching staff not throw the fade play to Pittman instead of Drake London?" Uh,
3: the simple answer is the Pittman's over there with Tyler Vaughn's, then they're going to shift extra coverage that way. But my opinion is you throw it to Tyler Vaughn's because he was wide open.
0: There are some weird things going on, and we all love. We think Drake London is going to be a great player, but there just seems to be bad things happen when you throw the ball to him for some I, reason. I,
3: no, I love the matchup because they got him against Miles Bryant, who's like five nine. Drake London can jump out the gym. Yeah, but he's like their best defensive player. I, you are supposed to throw the ball up. Now, would I have called it on fourth down? No.
0: Yeah. if, I mean, they're, they're, if
3: that was like a first down play or something, yeah, give the, you got to a chance. That's fine. But Tyler Vaughn was open on that play. And he was already made his mind up that he's throwing that pass before. Where if you throw it and it was a bullet pass, there was no one in the, in the way. You know, It wasn't the things that had, had given him trouble on the other throws in the red zone. He was wide open. He didn't throw that pass.
0: The weird thing for me is we were told that there was going to be a lot of wide receivers playing. Like it was going to be 8 to 10 play. That's not been the case at all. It's the starters and they play and that's pretty much it. And that's fine. But if you were going to rotate 8, 10 guys in there... And then when it's fourth and one, and Drake London's already caught a couple passes because he's like the fourth or fifth guy in, fine. And you want to throw him the ball. When you're really only throwing to your big three, I don't think you can go away from your big three on a critical down and try to get somebody his first catch. And it's just, we've seen that happen a lot. And if it's if it's a spread around offense, fine. All eight, 10 guys catching balls, good. If it's only your big three... You can't throw to one of them, not the big three, on fourth down.
3: Again, I like the play, just not at that time.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, even on the Family Feud Podcast shotgun, you and I had specifically talked about we were very anti going to inexperienced slash young players on critical plays in the game. So we kind of predated it a little bit there. Uh, we Let's go to a Facebook question. Uh, from Allen, he says, question for Shotgun. Shotgun, I've actually heard you talk about this a little bit. He said, Brock Hewitt said on the Fox broadcast that the offense was telegraphing their place based on where the running back starts in the formation. That seemed accurate to me. Your thoughts?
3: So I've, I've noticed this, and I didn't want to bring it up until I had a chance to talk to Graham Harrell. Obviously, it's very hard to talk to Graham Harrell one on one, and it's not a scrum question because it's basically saying, I can see what run you're going to do every time as you do a run. <laughs> And because that's what it seems like, because when the running back is right beside the quarterback, they run outside if they run the ball. Now, it there there are counters on these plays. They don't always run the ball. They run play action out of these same things. So it's not like it's OK. They're definitely running this play. We the biggest know, tell in the world. We know things. exactly what it is. But you know the direction of the run. You're going to run outside and maybe you can cut back inside. And if the running back lines up behind a, a step behind the quarterback, then it's going to be an inside run and you can bounce it outside if that proves to be the thing. But it's just kind of giving away the direction, whereas, and that's kind of been the, you know, if you're in a shotgun formation, you know, and you try to run the ball, you usually know which way it's going. Unless you do a quick pitch or you do, you know, do some, uh, you know, speed option type stuff, which they they did a pitch out of it against Utah. It did not work very well because a wide receiver missed the block. But it is something I've noticed as well. But I, I, like I said, I didn't want to bring it up necessarily. Is it always out
0: of shotgun, or is there some pistol? They don't do a lot of. They pistol. They did use right?
3: some pistol this game, even though they had not the last couple games. Yeah. Um. So the the thing about the pistol is it you know it gives you more options there. You know, there's a little bit of you know the defense doesn't know exactly which direction, which is why I kind of like mixing. So you're a little, little bit. closer to
0: the center at yeah. the pistol, yeah. If you
3: don't. You know. But the the running back can go any direction there. Whereas if you're in the shotgun, you're basically going to run the direction where the quarterback is. Now, when they back him up, it's to get going downhill. And that's when you see Marquis step, you know, probably 75%, if not more of his plays have been, he's been a step back because he's
0: an inside He's going to be a power, yeah. yeah.
3: So, yes, I've noticed that as well. uh, But, again, haven't had a chance to talk to Graham Harrell. And they've done a couple things to counter off of it, but they haven't done much. It's it's been pretty consistent. Yeah.
2: Good job there, Shotgun. Probably not a
0: good thing if that's on the broadcast, too. True. Uh, I was going to bring it up this week since it was not the broadcast. Thanks, Alan.
2: Uh, let's go back to our caller since we have a lot in the queue. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey,
4: uh, hey guys. I'm um, just calling with a couple quick questions. Uh, my name is James, and um, the first question is, I noticed Stephen Carr obviously had some good uh, nice break-open runs, but and he may be more of a shifty type of a back rather than just a true burner, but it seemed like he, he had a couple open lanes just to get into the end zone. He just couldn't break off, and get away from those defenders. Um, have you noticed something where it still seems like he might still be not completely there where he can kind of accelerate and pull away? And the second question is regarding the ongoing uh, AD search. Have you heard any news about, I don't know, someone in the Pac-12, maybe like a Pat Chan who's been kind of tossed out there? Have you heard anything about anyone being contacted? Thank you. Fight on.
0: Thanks.
2: Thanks for the call.
0: What did Carr average, like 13 yards a carry or something? Like, I don't know if I want to be complaining about him. Um,
3: I think it was more actually a product of how deep their safeties are playing. So it, it's very – it's much harder to turn the corner and be gone, you know, because Isaiah out the one they had run, he comes in, there's no one there. So yeah. once you break through, you know, it was seven yards past the line of scrimmage, basically Salvan, Salvan Ahmed was, was gone. You know, and there was nobody going to be able to catch him. Whereas Carr, I thought actually I saw there was one play, his long run, his longest run, you saw him actually beat someone, break the angle, is what what I call I don't know what what should be called, but he, he broke the angle of the defender and turned the corner when the guy should have stopped him for a 13-yard gain or something. Instead, he got around, and there's another guy from way across the field coming over to stop him. I thought he, that, I don't think that that's necessarily something I've seen. I haven't seen, been like, it's just not there. Whereas last year, there were times when you would see him turn the corner and someone would catch him, and you're just like, ah, that doesn't look right. I think it's kind of the opposite this year. There's been a couple times, the, the Stanford run, obviously, where he turns the corner for a touchdown. I think there's been a couple of them where you see that burst is there. Um, maybe it hasn't been consistent because he hasn't had a, hu- a ton of open lanes and stuff, but when it's when he's had a chance, he's done it a couple times where he's broken the angle of a defender.
0: And uh, the AD stuff, um, you know, I don't think they have – the only timeline I've heard is they want something by the end of the season. There's definitely meetings and names and things being tossed around uh, internally. Uh, they're you know bringing things up. One of the issues in the athletic department was that it's kind of top-heavy. There's a lot of good people that work there, but not, they don't really have a voice. I mean, they just really weren't being listened to. So I think there's more meetings going on where there's more collaboration. So I think that's a good thing. Um, they need to make, you know, they, they have to make a move as quickly as possible and get the right guy. We've heard a lot of Pac-12 names. You mentioned Chong from uh, Washington State. Um, you know, we'll see wh- which way they end up going. But I think... You got to give Fall a little credit here she seems to come in and want to do the right thing i mean getting rid of lynn swan was the absolute must um if she would have done it july 2nd i would have really been impressed but you know it took a little while but it's fine i like think she took a couple months and and did what she needed to do now you kind of go forward and they've all, they've been looking for a while but there's definitely internal things going on uh so we'll we'll see i mean you'll know when you know and uh you just got to hope that if you're a usc fan you just got to hope they make a, a good hire this time unlike The last three.
2: All righty, let's go to our next caller. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
1: Yes, hey, how you guys doing? Uh, My name's Roland. I'm calling from Oklahoma City. Uh, Pretty far. Uh, My question is, I'm on Twitter, and I'm seeing parents of players complaining about Coach Helton. I mean, just blatantly saying things that we all say. And I'm just numb to it it's done. Like, everyone knows it. You guys feel like the players, I mean, they see everything we see. Do you feel like they've lost the team because we know what's going to happen, what's the inevitable? I mean, everybody knows. And it's just that they're playing harder, but it's just the same old mistakes. And like you guys said, it's just done. Everyone knows it. Uh, My thought is I I feel like he's losing the players now. Their parents are openly – you know, disrespecting the coach, everybody sees that. So that's my question. Just wondering if you guys agree. Have a good night.
2: Thanks for calling, Thanks. Roland.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely been some. Uh, I mean, you've seen that. You've seen Keyshawn Johnson tweet out. You know, the definition of tarmac.
2: We got a couple of questions about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, uh, I've you know, we've all I think been contacted by players' parents that are not happy. I'm not sure that the the players have are all not on board. I mean, I think there's there's some. You know, you're not going to get to where you are right now and not have some dissension. But I mean, Clayton's still liked by a lot of those players. But I feel like there's, you know, I don't know what you guys think.
2: I think if you would have, if hypothetically saying that he's lost the team, I don't think you would have seen the fight you saw on the team yesterday. I don't think he's lost the team. No, I don't think so. You would have seen him give up when it was like, I believe 21 7 was the score. 28 7. Yeah, 28 7. You would have seen them giving up after that. So I I don't think that he's lost the team in that sense.
0: Yeah.
3: And you should also point out that. Many of the parents are fans too, so you know some of them are on our message boards and stuff. They read all the same stuff as a lot of you guys. They're watching the show. You know, they they are concerned about the program and the direction it's at right now too. They want to be. They want USC to be good. Some of them they want USC to be good regardless, but they also want USC to be good for their son. Yeah, you know they want their son to have a a great you know college career, a great uh, college opportunity. So, but also. A lot of them grew up USC fans, you know, especially the local kids. So that's part of the reason why they're they're really invested in this too. You guys just got to remember they're they're human beings too. They they want USC to win as well.
0: Yeah, we got a Periscope one. We've we've had some people. Thanks for uh, the call.
2: We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for
0: that. I'm sorry I don't mean to uh, ignore the Periscope. We got a lot of people on Periscope. Uh, Periscope. Jackson SF. I think we know Jackson. Uh, In a week, uh, Clay Helton has been the head coach for USC for five years. Is the program stronger?
3: Ooh. That's a very good question right there.
0: It's very good. So remember back when he took over? I think the program is settled. It's more settled. there's not as much um off field turmoil.
3: but the athletic department's not settled, so
0: yeah, the athletic department's kind of burning down around him. I don't think the football program is in a stronger place because. Not just the five and seven stuff, but recruiting is as bad as we've ever seen. And this, True. over a year in purgatory, in limbo, after you know starting off three and two last year and then finishing five and seven, uh, yeah, three and two, two years in a row, that's that's probably not a good sign. But the way recruiting has gone, not finishing strong last year because of the bad year and really kind of being saved by having two guys transfer in and Chris Steele and Brew McCoy, and then getting, uh, you know, even Drew Richmond to uh, be a grad transfer coming in. USC's 62nd in the country right now in recruiting rankings behind powers like North Texas and I think Louisiana State and... Uh, Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech and things Louisiana like State that. Louisiana
3: State is actually a pretty good football program
0: oh. with, run by a former... Oh, <laughs> State, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. yeah, they're good. That's good Maybe. one. Sorry. Louisiana State well is top five because at Oregon, Would they have been better off with their Oregon? Yes. But no... Yeah, so I don't think Jackson, USC is not in a better place than it was when Clay Helton took over. I, I'm pretty confident in that. Do you guys agree, disagree? What do you think?
2: The thing that's interesting to me is sometimes you kind of get caught in the rhetoric. And I think a lot of it when Clay Helton was first beginning, it was about a, a lot about learning. We'll get better. We'll correct the mistakes. It'll happen. And then you get to this point and you kind of just hear the same thing. I mean, he said, it's a learning lesson today. On things that he said he'd fix prior to the season, and I think that just continues. It's it's, it's this constant, almost excuse like factory of it'll get better, we'll clean it up, but there's no actual result. And so I, I, you know, sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. And so that inconsistency is where I just think it's not it's not going well for USC.
0: I don't think it's stronger. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Shotgun with the easy answer there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean it's it's fair. Nice question, Jackson. Every once in a while I can answer something succinctly.
2: Well done. <laughs> Proud of you. Uh let's jump in back into questions. Uh we have a Facebook question from Chris who says, So who do each of you pick for starting QB going into Notre Dame is, assuming that Keenan Slovis is cleared?
0: Oh, interesting. Um I think you go with Slovis. The yeah, had two. I two I too.
3: The coaches think is better. That's why he was higher than depth chart, so I think he would be back in there.
0: But, you know, neither guy had a great start on the road. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if the coaches like Slovis, you got you to gotta go with the guy that you liked more unless they something really, uh, get, they got impressed with uh, with Matt Fink. But yeah, I feel bad. Like, I, I didn't think, you know, Fink made some bad you know decisions, made some bad throws or whatever. But, for, you know, it wasn't any worse than what Slovis did against BYU. And it was much better defense and a much tougher environment, I would say, at Washington than, than BYU.
3: And if JT Daniels was playing, they would have beat Washington. Because yeah. the thing they weren't doing well, you know, they weren't moving the ball consistently, was what he did so well in the fall. Yeah. And I think he just has more experience on the road and stuff. He wouldn't have thrown the three interceptions. Now, he threw interceptions last year, but I think yep. he had improved enough this year that he would have taken a little bit care, better care of the ball, especially because it's not his first road start like yeah. it was Matt Fink. So yep. I think they would have won the game, actually, if JT. I just think that his skill set and the way he runs the offense would have fit better against the way that defense plays with their safeties 15 yards off the, off the ball.
0: Yep. Um and it, some people would say, "Well, would they have won? Would they have beat Utah with JT Daniels? They could have lost that game if wasn't you know, if it wasn't Fair Hero point. Ball." I
3: think, he, I think they still would have thrown up. I mean, there wasn't, there was only one real throw, the big Michael Pittman touchdown. Besides that, I think never really threw in a double coverage much. You know, he he took what they were giving, which was they were doing those slot fades and running right. out against. Cover but there one. were a lot of big plays. There weren't. There were big plays. Yeah, there was explosive but it's plays. it's not like JJ Daniels didn't throw the ball deep last
0: year. No, he did. But this year it was he all was a th- hero th- ball th- last year. So if that but was this the recipe was for the more, Utah game, it would have worked. Right, but this year there would have been more moving And I thought Matt Fink did the pretty good job early on. They seemed like they were like air raiding it, like moving the ball down the field. And then I don't know for whatever reason, kind of, well, yeah, they started running the football more. But um, you know, they dropped more guys in the coverage, and you don't see them, and you throw a pick, and you know. Alright,
2: let's move on to our next question. Uh, it comes from Andrew on YouTube, who, who he who says, "Which pu- position group have you seen exceed expectations? If none, what player has exceeded expectations?"
3: Defensive line, and I think the cornerbacks. Defensive line they're.
2: has exceeded your expectations.
3: Yeah, I think they're what? they're bordering on elite. If they're not elite, Tui Peloto and J Tefeli in the middle are monsters right yeah. now. I mean, both of those guys are using their hands so well and just being in the backfield. So you, you've got to double team. It, it, if you want to have success, you have to double team both of them, which obviously you can't do as an offensive line. Those, those guys both are, are really, really good right now. Um, and, and that's what's helping the defense a lot more. If they were struggling, because I, I think they said on the broadcast that Chris Peterson was really wanting to get a stalemate against those two guys. It's like, we can just keep those guys from getting in the backfield and disrupting everything. If we, can, we don't have to have the best block on them, but if we just don't let them be disruptors, then they should have success. That was their goal. And I think they, those guys still, I think they've, they're changing the rest of the defensive uh, play around them because of what they're able to do right in the middle.
0: They do stuff the middle well, but I feel like you need to generate more sacks if you're going to yeah. be an elite defensive line. That's why like I said they're boring a lot a of elite. Yeah, they've missed a bunch. Was there any sacks in this game? I yes, know, they had two at least. Two sac- I I left my sheet over there for some reason. I have my stats on it.
3: Max Williams had a sack. Okay. Uh, there was pressure from someone else, and he ended up getting the sack. Because uh, both times, Jacob Easton slid down. That's yeah. why I
0: remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The one time, he yeah, he sacked himself on that one time. Like, he got away from pressure, then he went outside, and then instead of just like, that's when you throw the ball away, the he, Max like, Williams slid one. down. Yeah. yeah. You're like, that was a really weird play. Jacob Eaton was not that impressive to me. He was – 180 yards, like it's just, you know, I've seen him play really well at other games, but he just wasn't, he wasn't making like, you know, if you're playing uh, Justin Herbert and it's like third and 15, he hits that 18-yard play, you're like, man, that was just a great throw. Like, I didn't see Easton do that, like, at all, like where he was. There were some nice throws.
3: There were arm strength throws, some outs and stuff. Uh, but I just, I didn't like their offensive game plan as much. Yeah. And
2: Burns th- said that they weren't expecting them to do what, as far as passing goes they thought they didn't expect him to do as as many intermediate throws they thought he they were going to throw deep on them a lot and they didn't really so
3: and so they were talking on the broadcast about how their offensive coordinator had said that they wanted to take eight shot plays that was their goal take eight they had zero in the first half now early in the second half they took you know multiple you know 15 yard down the field throws, but they didn't, uh, Isaiah Paul Mao did a good job breaking up the one over the middle with Hunter Bryant, a couple plays later they try again against Isaiah Paul Mao on the left side, he breaks that one up to, or he's right on the guy and it's an overthrow, so I think that they weren't able to get those deep throws and that kind of threw off what they were trying to do, I guess, but I, I thought that they would do more things where it would be, you know, one-on-one coverage type of thing and just let him, you know, a receiver, maybe the receivers just weren't getting open, that could be part of it too.
0: Yeah, true. You know, I don't think
3: the receivers are elite by any any means or anything, but USC secondary played really well. Give them a lot of credit there.
2: Yeah, Ryan, Uh, you didn't say your position group that's exceeded expectations. Hold on,
0: Periscope, Christina Ten just said Slovis. Oh, she's excited about Slovis or whatever. Great. Um, (laughs) I think even the wide receivers, like they're the best, but they're they've played even better. Like without without the wide receivers playing at the high level, like that's basically USC's chance to win. Every week is like throwing the football with the wide receivers. Um, So I would go with them.
2: Already, Uh Kay on YouTube said, I asked after week one, is this offense too basic? And you guys said, no, it's what the defense gives them type of mentality. Do you still believe that? Or is it too vanilla like I asked?
3: They just need to take what the defense gives them. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that. the issue I have with, with this game plan, at least. you know I, There are opportunities, more opportunities to run the ball. First and 10, second and 12, like Brock Hewitt said the same thing. It's like, doesn't matter. You got to run the ball when you're, you're facing five guys in the box. They didn't do that. Sometimes that was the the second inter- or the one of the interceptions was on a second and twelve play when they had five guys in the blocks and you could run the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still. It's funny. There was people on the pair style, I think, and uh, on Twitter talking about you guys were talking up Graham Harrell and uh, you know they only scored fourteen points. I'm like, yeah, this this offense should. not I'm going to put some of this on Graham Harrell for sure.
3: They also this, had were five times I think or four times inside Washington territory and didn't uh, and got. One touchdown out of it or
0: something like that? Twice right.
2: at at five yards, I believe.
0: Which is it's pretty bad. Yeah, Um but you're not doing that. But I think there's it's kind of those things, if we could do a food analogy. Like if oh you're no. if oh you're no. cooking in the kitchen and you have like this, you know, a Cornish game hen, but uh someone was making uh like Limburger cheese and uh, you know, fish heads on the on your workstation before you get there and you put your Cornish game head down and it mm-hmm. sort of gets some of the 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 <laughs> contamination from where what is was this on the floor, I just making this up, so the quarter's game had would have been ma- amazing, but the where where you're cooking it and where how you're preparing it is it got contaminated. and is this offense getting contaminated from the culture and everything that was set up before? i I don't know, but it doesn't look this the offense is not scoring points at the rate that I thought they should be, and so,
2: yeah, someone asked, where's my ten points, Ryan, because that was yeah. something you said. It is,
0: and I'm not seeing it. And I think it's the, the Limburger and, and fish heads that you were cooking with before that are still stuck in the room.
3: I don't, I, I don't have the stats to see what they're averaging right now, but I still think it's probably better than they were last year. Right?
0: It was 26 a game last year, so it's it's probably similar, I would guess, because only 14 in this last game is going to hurt them. It's 45 against Stanford. 45, yeah.
2: So I'm trying to track this analogy here. What are you saying?
3: <laughs> that there was contamination from the previous offense that is affecting this
0: year. Meaning, what are you saying?
2: Are you saying that like? Clay Helton is play calling? Like, is it no, going I'm that not, far? I'm, okay, uh, I just want to be clear here.
0: I'm just saying that, like, the way everything is being run, um, the reason we said you needed to make more changes than what was made in the offseason is because you, you have to get all of the stink out. And they didn't get all the stink out, and it's going to contaminate the good stuff that you bring in. And I feel like now you're not getting everything. They're not running... The pure air. They they didn't have two wide. You normally have two wide receivers coaches. They don't. Well, are you? Is that the reason you're only playing three or four guys? I don't know. But I'm saying they didn't go full on in. They only have two guys on the coaching staff that are air raid coaches. Um, all of that stuff is like, well, does that make a difference? Like, maybe it does. You know, you're not. You're not. You didn't fully go in. You you got the the main guy. I get know. You, you got Jinx, but that's it. Uh, Drevenko never you know blocked air raid stuff like you didn't you only have one wide receiver coach and he's a rookie you normally have two it didn't seem like you fully bought into here's what this system does and if you don't fully buy in and you don't get the result you know the full results is that because you didn't fully buy in I, that's that's my thought
2: uh, let's go to a Facebook question from Corey. He says, why can't SC throw against zone defense? It seems like all a defense has to do is stay in the zone to win. Do they not practice Ooh. against zone in practice? Or what do you think is going on?
0: It's impossible to throw. See, last year, it was impossible to throw against cover two. You couldn't throw, you know, could, remember that? Remember, there was like, well, they went to cover two, so we couldn't throw the football. I, yeah, I don't know. See? <laughs> it's over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> They can still throw against zone defenses.
3: They did a good job against, uh, you know, Utah when they tried to do some underneath zone stuff. They threw over the top of it. You know, they're they're just not consistent right now. Uh, and no. I think the way, best way to defend them right now is to play a zone defense, drop them back, but they have to run the ball and force teams out of it. Run the ball and then get the safeties or linebackers to react to the play action. Early in the game, Washington did not even react to play action fakes. Their linebackers would just go back into their zones. So if you run and, – and that was probably because they saw the Utah game and said, this team ain't going to run the ball. Yeah. So this team ain't good enough to run against us. We'll stop them. And then when you start running it and popping them more, and that's when you get that long Michael Pittman touchdown because the safety was eyeing the play action, and he got caught flat-footed, and he saw he, – he turned back – turned his head back to Michael Pittman and was like, oh, crap. Yeah. I'm in trouble.
0: But I feel like that's the thing that Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake were like, okay, don't let that happen again. And, you know, maybe that allowed USC to run the ball better than what they had. But they were willing to sort of, sort of like the reverse, there was like a bend but don't break thing. Like they weren't going to give up. They didn't want to give up the big play to Michael Pittman. So that was the one touchdown they gave up. But for the most part, they're gonna like, okay, let them run the ball, get some first downs and stuff. We'll make a big play. We'll stop them, keep them out of the end zone. And that's, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, but the, but the run game worked better for sure.
3: Yeah, their whole mentality is a bend but don't break defense. That's why you're playing your safety so deep. We're not going to give up the big play. They only gave up one play over 40 yards last year. They've only given up one so far this year going into the USC game. USC got two. So USC got as many 40-yard 40, 40 plays as that defense had given up in you know a year and a half basically. So they did some nice things there, but that's the, that's the entire goal of Washington's defense. Bimba, don't break.
2: Uh, let's go to a question from John. It's for Shotgun, but I'm going to ask it to everyone because I think it's interesting. Uh, he says, if you were the head coach, what would your priority be this next couple of weeks? I'm going to ignore what you just did there, right?
0: Sorry. If you were the head coach, what would your priority be?
2: Yeah, the next couple of weeks.
0: I mean, if I was the head coach, a lot of things would change. Where uh, we've talked about this before, and and Clay on the conference call was like, "We're going to fix the little things." I think you have to go in, and completely mix things up, you know. And he, they come up with a plan, you know, in August or whatever, and they just whatever they the plan was, they don't ever deviate from it. It seems like so. I'm like, you know what? What do you feel like they were doing well, or what? Or not doing well? You got to tackle better. We're going to get after the quarterback. You're going to run. You're going to you're going to tackle in practice. You know, it's a bye week. If you get banged up a little bit, that's fine. You can rest over the weekend. Uh, I feel like just, you know, that kind of stuff, just do it differently. I think you're going to lose players as you lose games, but as you lose interest because you're not doing anything different, it's the same thing over and over and over again. So if you walk into practice and everything looks different, you're doing – instead of the drill you do last you do that first or whatever it is you just mix things up mm-hmm. and you change the routine to kind of like change the the reaction for the players they're 18 19 20 year old kids i think you got to mix it up so
3: yes yeah, so you just got to jump start them a little bit yes which means don't go with the same routine you've you've been doing i would change that i would like to see especially on tuesday i would have a full all out tackle practice yes and that includes – Maybe John Houston and any fifth-year seniors they can sit out, but everybody else needs to be in there now. Maybe John Houston needs to be in there because he needs to tackle better. Uh, but I would have every you know I would just do something completely different. That's not something you would do any other time in the year, but it's a bye week, so you're, you're nursing some injuries. That's fine. Talanoa, you're not in, but everybody else, you know, the guys that that played in this game, even though they just played, I would have them back out there again and say. We've got to do these things better. Hey, we, we, we started on it against Washington. we got to take care of the ball better. I would have the defensive lineman actually tackle a quarterback. Uh, you know, even if it's a scout team, you have a scout team guy, put him back there, he gets yeah. hit, it's okay. Scott Harris can take a couple hits for you. That's what they're here there for, the yeah. scout team players. Even if you want to put, you know, a wide receiver, it doesn't matter. They need to be able to tackle guys a little bit more to help them get those sacks eventually, you know, some of those that they missed earlier in the season. Those are could be a couple things, and I would just – you know with the scout team in particular i would have matt fink going over you know and keen slovis facing those zone coverages we yep. you drop you know i would i would even do some drills where you have nine defenders
0: and yeah put extra guys yeah back put either. extra
3: guys and say hey you need to find extra windows yeah and maybe you don't have the pass rush so it's in your 7 on 7 it becomes 8 on 7 you know just force extra defenders i want you to make better reads I want you to be make better decisions. So if it's not there, I want to see you scramble, throw it away, whatever. Instead of trying to force throws a little bit, because those are the throws over the middle that they've done. They forced them, or not seeing those underneath and like the the interception on the goal line. You have to work short to long on that on an inside breaking route like that. They
0: never saw the guy. Yeah, yep. and I think the turnover and penalty thing. You have to re-emphasize that. Whatever turnover drills you got, whatever punishments you can give out for. Not forcing a turnover or or giving one up for the offense. I think you got to do that. You got to really. I mean, minus seven is not going to get it done.
3: Yeah, that's a huge stat. Huge. That's probably the biggest stat of the season right yeah. now.
2: Yeah. Yep. And on the same topic, we got a uh, comment from Tommy on Facebook. He says, uh, "These things that you're suggesting are good, but is this the thinking of the coaching staff? You all should know better that." than us because you're on the team.
0: We were asked what we would do. So that's yeah. <laughs> true. No, that but that's not what they're gonna do. So we know we know that going That on. is you not just, what they've done in the past. Yes. About, yeah. For five years now. And and when Clay was asked about doing something different or, you know more changes than you know, doing some fundamental changes, he was not uh saying he was gonna do that.
2: Yes. Let's go back into callers. Oops, as I take us off there. Uh because we have a lot in the queue. Um, let's go to our first caller. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, hey, guys. from Vendora calling back. Um, yeah, I just
1: got a couple. I got a couple quick questions. Um, I feel like if Clay Helton doesn't win at Notre Dame, that's it. It's over. Let's get rid of him. and move on. The other thing is uh, really simple. Uh, why isn't Marquis steps getting the ball on fourth and two? That's it.
0: Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks from his, uh, uh, I sorry didn't hang Keely. Up on you, sorry, Keeley hung up on you. But. No, Four, was it fourth and two, not. the
3: fourth and goal play that we're referencing?
0: Uh I think is that the one
3: that was I think that because that's the only other time. The only other time they went for fourth down, they got it fourth and seven. But fourth and two at the goal line, you know, they actually tried to run the ball, I think, three times in a row or two times on first and second down, didn't really get much. So it, it's hard on fourth down. I would like to see a little bit more. I mean, I'm just gonna go back to Tyler Vaughns was open. Yeah. If he throws the ball, Tyler Vaughn is a touchdown. Maybe you run something with a with an option for Matt Fink to use his legs uh, rather than kind of a fade, which is you know a quick throw. The, the quarterback's throwing the ball you know in the first second of the play basically. So maybe you do something where he rolls out to give him a couple more options. I don't. Those are some d- different things you could have done. But I'll go back to the play that was called. There was a guy that was wide open for a touchdown. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Well, that's a terrible call. I think it was more a terrible decision to throw it to the back receiver when the short one was open.
2: I will say though, uh, interesting thing I noticed was I think it was after the Markey step thirty yard run, it was it was Stephen Carr, then it was Steph who broke off. Uh, Vi was actually supposed to come in in the next play, and Clay stopped him and said Steph's going back in. So it, they they're changing it. So it was, I think Steph is getting more of his time. So. Yeah, he
0: got a first down carry, and then. They took him out like at the second down. It was really weird. They've
3: like, done some sometimes, especially later in games. They've used all three running backs on three straight plays. That that's something that's happened a couple times. The biggest difference, the biggest one thing that tells you that Marquis Step has is stepped farther into the rotation. He got a first no pun He got a first quarter carry. First yeah. time. That's the first time yeah. he's got a first quarter carry yeah. in his career. So that tells you that they are wanting to use him more. And that's something I talked about, Keelan, last week on the Family Feud podcast. I believe it was that if you're going to use him, if you're going to implement, a, you know, how can you uh, incorporate him a little bit more? You need to get him in earlier in the game. And so then when it comes to a fourth and one or something, it's not like, well, we can't put him in because we haven't used him all the entire game. Right.
2: That's what started our anti-putting players in at a critical moment for the first time, and
0: that was true, yeah. et cetera. We had a quick one on um, Periscope, Hobbly80. Sure. Uh, do y'all Thanks get... for the
2: call, John.
0: Thanks, John. Uh, we'd already hung up on him, right? Or you already no. Up... Do you hung up twice now? Okay. okay. <laughs> Did you all get a chance to see the Wendy's View Party during the game better than the game? So this is the one. Was that the one that had Lendell White and uh, and Stephen Smith? Uh, Stephen oh, I thought you were talking about
2: the, the Wendy's Boat.
0: I have no clue what you're referencing. Yeah, that I don't know. I did I've heard I saw on Twitter, I didn't get to go back and watch it, but apparently it was fun. I think it was I think Lendell White was on there and sort of uh giving his takes on what was going on. That was uh, pretty I but I haven't had a chance. We were traveling and stuff all day today, but uh Hobbly, I will definitely try to check that out. But yeah there was Wendy's had a barge out there. If you had a boat you could go check get and some Wendy's. <laughs> uh, sure. It's a beautiful scenario. Like if you go watch our so Twitter pretty. feed yeah, it's so pretty. Everything up there but you know 1230 game you don't get as much sail gating because it's early but last you know, 2016 when we went up there it was a night game and we we did some video feature of the sail gating and that was really neat
2: cool stuff let's go back into callers now um hello you're live on tunnel vision
4: hi this is chris from glendora Glendora, <coughs> back to oh, back
2: sorry i was, uh, sorry. Uh, I was excited know, about glendora apparently glendora. <laughs> Yep.
4: But I have a couple of observations that I wanted to point out and I wanted to get you guys' thought. So it seems to me, well first off, USC has six turnovers on the road and you know we're 0 2. And it also seems like when our offense faces adversity, it seems like the coaches panic. And it seems like when we and, and it seems like when we get into the red zone and it's more so from this game. When we got into the red zone, it looked like we were just very predictable. Run, run, pass. Run, 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 run pass. Like we rarely did anything to get you know receivers open. And when I watch, so you know, I have a friend who plays for Washington State. His name is Esop Winston Jr., one of the best receivers in the Pac-12. When I watch Washington State run the uh, air raid, USC doesn't look anything like that. Like. Nothing like that, and then I just wanted to shout out USC uh, DBs. I thought they played very well. Chris Steele and uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart. I thought they played really well, and also Greg Johnson. All right, thank you.
0: Thanks. Yeah, they did. They played. I mean, that was there was a lot of pressure on the USC DBs to play well in this game, and they did. So that's uh, with two, you know, your two big biggest names out. uh, The fact that they were able to play as well as they did was was a great step. Yeah. Going to the play
3: calling, I, I don't necessarily think that I thought it was predictable in the red zone. It's just the field compacts those safeties that were 15 yards away. Now they're five yards away, especially when you get you know by the goal line. So it changes what you have to do. You have to be able to you have to block a little bit better, especially because you're not getting those five man boxes anymore when those safeties are now yeah. at the line of scrimmage or you know five yards off suddenly even if they're still having the same responsibility of being covered two, it's now seven men in the box and you have to block a little bit better. And USC didn't necessarily do that, make that adjustment. Uh, the area being different than Washington State, we've, we've tried to tell you guys, I think several times, that it was going to be that way. And USC's actually been really balanced as far as their numbers, as far as pass and run, yeah. uh, so far for yeah. the season as a whole. Balance. Um, which Clay Hilton must be in love with. Uh, mm. But we, we said that, that you know, when Graham Harrell was at North Texas, he was much closer to 50% pass and run than anything close to what Mike Leach was running. Yeah. And so Mike Leach is, air rate is different because they throw the ball, to the running back so much, they use those as, as runs and they throw it a ton to those guys. And Esau Winston jr. As a wide receiver at, at Washington state is, is crushing it this year. But uh, those, all those wide receivers, his idea is to get spread the ball out evenly among the five skill players. And if you get, you know, For each position, if you can get 20% to them, then you're doing your job. Yeah. That's the balance he's looking for, Mike Leach is. This is different. different
0: offense for USC. Real quick on Periscope, uh, Sean Canali wrote in, Ryan, looking forward to having you speak at our Wednesday uh, Wednesday at our Trojan Club event. So he runs the San Gabriel Valley Trojan Club. I will be speaking there. Should be interesting. Uh We'll see. Sometimes it depends if there's like an athletic department member in the audience or a coach or something, or... If it's just the fans, and you can say a little different stuff. But, Sean, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. I'm very curious what kind of questions and stuff we're going to be getting, but uh, we'll see.
2: Interesting. Okay. But then, yeah, but
0: if you're up in the San Gabriel Valley make sure, and you're not part of the club, you, Sean does an amazing job. He runs a great Charger club up there, so make sure you check it out.
2: All righty. Let's go to our next caller on the line. Hello. You are live on television.
1: Hello, hi, Mike from uh, Silver Lake. Um, I was really surprised at the quality of the defensive back play in, in the game on Saturday. I mean, it only shows the depth that uh, USC has, and, uh, is, which makes it even more surprising that they're losing games. Uh, uh, secondly, I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I really think that SC has a very good chance. Of upsetting Notre Dame because of the quality of the play and the way they even played against a very top-notch quarter, quarterback
0: uh, last weekend. If they get to,
1: if they get everything
0: together, thanks, Mike. Um, yes, yeah, so that's be, always
2: the big if. if it, they can it is get a big if, but you're together. right.
0: The the defensive backs played way better. Um, you know, Ian Books a great quarterback too. Uh, we'll see. I, I I just didn't think Jacob Eason played all that well, but a lot of that has to do with uh, you know he got some pressure on him up front. But certainly the the defensive backs played. Better than expectations, they are. There's a lot of talent there. There just wasn't a lot of experience. You get a guy like Max Williams to be able to come in and make big plays, like get a sack, force a fumble. It's a big deal. So that I mean, that shows you there is depth there. Uh, when when, when depth. we say they're talented, we're not blowing smoke, but like they really are a talented group. So yeah, they have a puncher's chance against anybody just because of the talent on the field.
3: Yeah, I think Isaac Taylor Stewart's playing beyond my expectations for him this year. Um, I I think that Elijah Griffin has been terrific when he's been in there. Greg Johnson's playing good at that nickelback spot. He's been kind of a ball hawk, you know, know, making plays, making impact plays. You know, he's given up some some completions, but he's making impact plays. And you see a guy like Max Williams come in, first opportunity, no fear, you know, making plays, you know, creates a fumble, like you said, gets a sack. He knew that he was going to be in for one quarter. He knew that as soon as the quarter was over, Greg Johnson's coming back into the game, but he went out there and made plays. Didn't play scared or anything.
2: Yeah, and I talked to Greg Burns about that whole group and how they played. And, and the phrase he used for uh, ITS was, he grew up. He grew up in this game, and he had a couple pass breakups. And so he said that he made a good jump, but he's always looking for more. And then Max Williams, he said, is a guy that they want to get on the field in any way possible. And they're trying to incorporate that more and, and give him different looks and practice. So something to watch for going forward, uh, for sure. Uh, but thanks for the call. We appreciate it, especially from a Notre Dame fan. Thanks for watching yeah. the show. Uh, let's go to the last caller in the queue. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
1: Hey, this is uh, John. I was originally in San Diego. I've been a USC man since 78. And you know, there's 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 an issue there. You either hang up the helmets and shut down the football program or get serious about hiring a good coach. It was 30 years or so between John Robinson and Pete Carroll. What did you have in between those two coaches? So, you know, <laughs> in as much as I like plays and all the stuff that he does with the kids you know it's it's kind of pathetic because we have some of the best talent in the country on this team and they can't get it done against BYU they barely beat Fresno State you know it's and then you have a a new president that doesn't want the myers as a coach I I don't get it you know you either get serious or you stop embarrassing the, <laughs> the football program and the history, you know? So that's, that's my question. What, what is that? What is the athletic department going to do? Are they going to get serious? Or, you know, should they just paint up the football co- program? Because
2: Oops, I muted him.
0: Oh, thank, hey, John, thanks for the call there. And I, I don't think Carol full we don't know that she does not want Urban Meyer, um, that was one report that was out there. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. But you're exactly right as far as USC needs to stop making USC decisions and go forward and make good decisions. That means not bringing in another inexperienced athletic director because the last time you hired anyone with experience was 1984. So you're talking 30, 40 years, whatever. I mean, it's been a long time. So... You want to bring in somebody good who doesn't know the USC way. And to me, it's really about in a department where you have a lot of good people, but there's a lot of people that have been there a long time that don't really want things changed. They know they're not doing things exactly like the right way, but they do it their way. If you brought in an experienced athletic director over the last 20 years, they would have looked around and go, why are you guys doing this stuff? Here's how it's going to work. Now they have to do that. So I think that's one step. You needed a real athletic director. They will get that in place. And the other one is hiring a coach that somebody else would hire. You know my two rules. Experienced, good at their job, and doesn't know the fight song. I think you need to bring that in right now. So get somebody that's good at their job. Not a coordinator, not someone that you think might be good. Like You have to get someone that's a proven college head coach. USC deserves that. And you're right. If you're not going to go that way, then just like shut things down because it's not worth it anymore.
3: They're not going to shut anything down. Shut it down. People or said just this about make the right the, hire. They say this about the baseball team. Like if they're not going to try to win. Why don't they just shut it? They're not going to shut it down. It's, well, not, it's not going to happen. But the football team actually matters. And so, the football team still makes money. You know, they're not they're not right. going into deficit right now. So it's because they make money, they'll still going to play football. Even if they're not being competitive, they're still making money at the moment. So they're not going to shut things down. We've asked this question several times. What does the athletic department, what does the administration want from the football team? And that's still a big question because you know what the fans want is a national championship contender. We don't know that the administration has that in their interest we, we because know, they know we that no, they don't because that <laughs> costs money. It, you yeah. have to spend money, spend money to make money, and I think it's a good investment, especially in a school like USC, which has the tradition of the program, and because that attracts, it attracts more students and stuff. They talk about it all the time in the NCAA tournament when a team like Davidson goes on a run, how their numbers, you know, their application go through the goes roof, through yeah. the roof. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing in college football. If USC's in the college football playoff, you're going to have even more attractive. It's just a it's a great investment. I don't see why USC's administration has decided that's not the ca- case for them the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Or if they feel like they are, then they're just
0: no, I No, I think there's the administration you hope for a winner – but you're not going to go hire someone that you would know would be a winner or give you the best chance. When you hire Clay Helton, who's never been head coach because he's the guy in the room and he's not going to rock the boat, you're hoping he's going to win, but you didn't do that. If if winning was your number one priority, you would never hire Clay Helton as your head coach. Like, you wouldn't have done it. Like, you're you're doing it for other reasons. And that's – Shotgun's exactly right. That's not what this administration has been focused on. It's more of these other things. And I think now – it's got so bad, John, that you can't do these things anymore. You can't make the USC decisions anymore. You have to, you know, just cut it off right here. Get a real athletic director, get a, a an experienced head football coach, and you just move on and, and see if you can win.
2: righty. Ryan lays it down. He's uh, lay it
0: down. And if you get Urban Meyer, you crush it. You absolutely crush it. It changes everything overnight. It goes from season ticket sales go up, you know, fifty percent. It you. You Recruiting goes from crap to amazing. Uh, they're instantly the favorite to win the Pac-12, and they will be turned around so fast. Uh, they, he will fix just about everything.
3: I also should point out that, that no one in the athletic department or administration would not want him as a coach. It's the baggage that comes with him because of what has happened at Florida and Ohio State after he's left or you know, and things, and also the power that he would right. demand. You know, Some people don't want to give up power. And then some people are afraid of the baggage. The no, the coaching aspect, just between the lines, everyone's like, that would be a great hire. But what about these other things?
0: And I think that's the issue, is if you, if you have real questions about, and he's never had an NCAA investigation or anything like that, that's sure. fine. But if you're worried about the power, and we've said this before, where if you're the administration, you're like, I don't want to hire a coach that's too powerful. Winning is not your priority. Mm-hmm. And that's what we feel is going on here. We've been told that many times. That they wouldn't... If you had Pete Carroll 15 years ago and you could hire him today or, you know, the last couple of years, the USC administration wouldn't have done that. You know he'd win, but he ran, he ran the show. And they that's not something they wanted. So to me, that's not about... And, and as fans, they're going to be frustrated as heck because the most important thing to them, they want to win. Yeah, you don't want, like, kids going to jail and all that kind of stuff. But you, you want to win. If you'd rather... If, if someone's going to wield more power in the athletic department as a head coach... And they win games, they're fine with it. But from what we were told inside the administration, that's not necessarily what they wanted. Because
3: the people in the administration are humans, and humans inherently, if they have power, they don't want to give up power.
0: Yeah. But would you rather make your program better and win national championships than you want to hire a guy like Urban Meyer? Or hire somebody along those lines over the past three or four hires, which they have not done. They've hired people that are familiar, that they know that not necessarily going to be good coaches, but they're not going to rock the boat or do anything crazy, but they actually hired some people that did things crazy where they didn't expect.
2: Yep. All right. Let's go into rapid fire. It's eight 21 right now. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for all the calls and questions. We appreciate it for sure. I'm actually going to give some love to Facebook. We haven't given you as much love tonight. Uh, Maria on Facebook says, what do you think about the team's conditioning?
1: Mm.
0: What? Yeah, I don't know why Keely doesn't like Facebook so much. Sorry. Facebook people. Such a troll. <laughs> you are a troll.
3: Uh, <laughs> I think the conditioning is fine. Yeah, they're you know, better the, shape. The yeah. only time that I've really seen them gas was the BYU game, and I think that was the altitude played a major factor yeah, in that. I believe so too. Um, and Keely and I can attest to we felt it. just the effect that it has when you're on yeah, the you side These guys are wusses though. Um, yeah, you didn't even make the trip. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the only other time was late in the Utah game. There were a couple of defensive players where there were no backups because of the injuries that they've had in certain positions. that were huffing and puffing a little bit, but I think that was – it, they were still played. They, none of them, you know, gave up a play because they were tired or anything like that. So I think that that was just partially the defense played like thirty more plays than the offense. Yeah. So I played into it. But I think their condition's been fine. I think yeah. the yeah. big men especially I, I don't think I've ever seen many guys just like you're just like, well that guy's gassed, completely gassed. And there's been you know there's been I have a what I call the ninety play club. You know guys that have played ninety total plays in a game which before this year, I think it was 12 in the last, I think, four years that I've done it. There have already been, I think, five guys that have done it this year. Wow. Um, and some of those guys are like Austin Jackson, Jalen McKenzie, you know, big guys. And you don't see them at the end of the game, like, really struggling. I think the, the conditioning has been much improved this year, I would say.
2: Yeah, and uh, I talked to Marquis step about, uh, Dan actually did too, about how he's feeling faster. And he specifically credited uh, the conditioning and he feels uh, like a stronger, faster running uh, runner. So oh. there you go. Um, Someone's
0: asking for Twitter questions. Are there Twitter questions? Or Oh, yep.
2: we do have one you have to use
0: hashtag Tunnel Vision. Yes. This is a Periscope person telling me about Twitter questions. So.
2: Uh, who was it, though? Uh, we have a question from Steve who says, question for everyone except Shotgun, because I know he doesn't do hypotheticals. What are the chances of an in-season coaching change 50-50? Does it depend on the Notre Dame result? Can it happen before the game?
0: Yes, all of those things. It depends on all. I mean, there's a lot of things it depends on. Uh, the other caller said, you know, if you lose Notre Dame, is done. I, 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 it's hard for me to picture a scenario where Clay Helton's the coach in 2020. I, I'll just tell you that. When that happens, I don't know. But I, I it, there's not a lot of scenarios in my mind that Clay Helton is the coach uh, in 2020. I'll, I'll leave it at that.
2: Uh, we have a Facebook question from Jeff who says, have we ran a reverse this year? I don't remember seeing one.
0: don't uh, think so. They
3: ran something. They ran some kind of in around or something. I'm blanking on when it was. Yeah. It wasn't hyper-successful, but I think it picked up a couple yards.
2: Um, Raphael says, why isn't Bayless Jones playing? Can someone please answer this?
0: He was listed as the starter this past week, but I don't know what he's... Because they're not rotating those receivers. Yeah, it's really just those main guys. They're, it's mostly three wide receivers. They're H-back, you know, Kroben Hoke or, or Josh Follow, and then one of the running backs. Like that's, that's a typical formation, right? That's what you mm-hmm. mostly see.
2: Um, and then to your point earlier, Ryan, uh, Chris on Facebook said, do you wait to fire Helton after an AD is hired or do you pull the trigger ASAP and run the risk of impacting your recruiting?
0: Well, the recruiting doesn't matter right now. The recruiting is in the tank so that you're not you're not going to hurt recruiting uh, by firing, uh, and you know, firing somebody now. Um, if, if that's the direction, you know, you're going to go and it's like an ugly loss to Notre Dame. I could see it happening. I mean, we thought there might be a chance during this bye week, uh, but. You know, the fact that it didn't happen today, he was on the conference call, then probably not. But it could, you know, potentially could after, uh, you know, say it's an ugly Notre Dame loss, Then maybe it could happen then. But, you know, you'd rather have that happen with an athletic director in place. But I think if you're hiring an athletic director, you're doing it under the, the, you know, um, assumption that that person, he or she will be hiring a new head football coach. I think... The, that's number one through five questions you're asking them is about who you would hire as the next football coach at USC. If
3: you were going to fire Helton before the Notre Dame game, you, the bye week, it's a lot of people were like, oh, maybe it'll happen during the bye week. It would have probably happened today. You probably wouldn't have let him do the conference call. I would guess. Um, yeah. There is a very slight chance that it would be on Monday. I mean, Lin Swan was resi- did resign on Monday. Yeah. Resigned. Uh, so that's a very slim possibility. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, but if it, if you were going to make the move at this time, yeah, I think it would have happened earlier today. Yeah.
2: Corey on Facebook says, "What happened to the idea of tempo?" He also says, "Nice to meet you." It was nice to meet you in Salt Lake.
0: Oh, nice. They did. They've done some tempo. I mean, it's. I think it's been somewhat successful when they do it, but it's not. This isn't like running eighty-five, ninety plays a game kind of thing on a consistent basis. You know, the
3: Utah game they couldn't because they weren't. Moving the ball consistently enough. Um, I don't. Even, I haven't done my charting or anything yet to see what it was in Washington. They've got to be able to find consistency with the offense. I think the noise at Washington was a factor in not doing it this week uh, as much. But yeah, you. I asked Graham Harrell last week how he felt about the tempo, and he, you know, he was, he liked it basically. He, yeah. he said we're best when we go fast, uh, and part of it has been you know not controlling the ball. The, the time of possession against Utah is why they haven't really been able to get into it as much. I did. You saw some of the BYU. They had to pull back on that. I think at the BYU game because of the altitude and the fatigue factor for the defense more. Uh, so it just seems like there's been something every game that's kind of pulling them back from it, but it is kind of confounding that you're not going with the same tempo that we kind of expected. And they talked about wanting to have and that they practice all the time.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Vintage wants to know our thoughts on Devin Williams transferring.
0: That's a really weird thing. And uh, I was getting text messages, like, before it broke that he was going to Oregon about, hey, what are you hearing about this? And I, I really just, like, didn't really care. Like, he's out. Uh, I'm not really going to put – there's plenty of other USC things to do. Um, I you know I thought Oregon would be make the most sense. Most likely, they didn't have room for Devin Williams. And then they made room for Devin Williams. So he was announced, took pictures in Oregon State gear and all that stuff. And then ends up going to Oregon. So kind of sucks for Oregon State. But it's one of those <laughs> Definitely things. Definitely sucks where, for them. Yeah. One of those things yeah. that Oregon, like, figured out a way to get them in there. And, I mean, they, they were pretty full, you know, two guys they added to go. So I don't know how they did this. Yeah, there
3: was, that was the whole question about Chris Steele potentially going up there. You know, are they even going to have room for it? That seemed like that played a factor in this. You know, they weren't supposed, expected to have any room. And Devin wanted to go to school right now rather than waiting. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how he ended up at Oregon State, and then something happened in Oregon. Something opened up for him. I don't know the exact yeah backstory on it. Very but strange. That, but, that's yeah. what seemed is the most likely case. We don't know that for sure, but Oregon was his number two school when it, when he chose USC initially coming out of high school. So that that looked like where he was. That that seemed like the most logical destination for him after he decided to leave USC.
2: Um, I just want to clarify something before we keep going forward. Uh, just because this happened with Graham Harrells. Uh, non-scrum after BYU, there's some misconceptions. Just Clay Hilton's conference call was short because uh, the press didn't have any more questions for him. It wasn't like they were like, oh, we're yanking Clay away. You can't ask any questions. It was just that's what happened when no one asked any more questions, and we're not sure if that happened because of a technical difficulty where no one could like press into the conference call. So just,
0: well, we do know that Dan did not ask. Dan's the yes. main. Usually, Dan will ask one, you know, a few questions, and then call back and ask a couple more. But I'm
2: clarifying because people are saying that oh, they stopped the press conference, or Clay didn't want to talk, and I just want to make sure that's clear because there were misconceptions prior with Graham Harrell. So I just want yeah. to make sure that's
0: clear. It, no, was, it, it, it wasn't Lane it, Kiffin. Gotta go. Yeah, It it wasn't that, and and the people that did call in with questions were basically asking one thing and just like, okay, thanks. And there's just, you get to the point where it doesn't matter what you're, he's just going to say the same things you're not going to ask anymore. So it's, uh, yeah, this wasn't on, the only, the the reason this is Clay Helton's fault, if you're going to say it's Clay Helton's fault, not because he said, I want to have a short conference call, it's because the answers he's giving, people are just done asking him questions.
2: Um, let's go to a question from New Zoo Guru, who says, Shotgun, do you see any potential upset loss remaining on USC schedule?"
0: Sure, they
3: they could be favored against Arizona State or Cal and lose to either those teams. I mean, no. I think both of those teams. Colorado. Colorado on
0: the Colorado Friday night on the road, and yeah, because everyone
3: uh, everyone struggles on Friday nights on the road in the Pac-12. So yeah, that's a defi- yeah. There's there's several options there because USC shown that they're not consistent enough to to just mark it down as a win anywhere. Yeah, even under Pete Carroll, they showed that.
0: And yeah, so they'll yeah, be – Oregon State. USC be favored in pretty much all the games except Notre Dame and Oregon, probably? Probably. Depends on what they're looking like coming into Oregon. They could yeah. still be favoring the Oregon game, too. Potentially, yeah.
2: Tom on Facebook said, did Matt Fink miss a lot of open receivers? It was hard to tell on TV. Not
3: necessarily. I mean – I couldn't see that he missed you – know, His throws did not miss open receivers. It's not like he was just – the guy was opening threw it way over him or anything like that. Uh, did he miss – some opportunity did he not throw the ball to some guys? Yeah, I think there were a couple times there, but it's hard to tell. It's it's much easier to see those type of things with the all twenty-two, the coaches' film, where it's from the end zone. Um, but you know, we don't have access to that, unfortunately.
2: Yep. Um, I'm going to go to our last caller, and then shotgun. If you want to get any questions ready right. for yeah, to probably. wrap it up, it uh, is eight. Also, as you point out,
3: as far as the Matt Fink thing is that. I've only watched the game on a smartphone so far, so when I when I go back through it more in depth, I'll I'll try to look and see for that.
2: Also, more um. reason to watch our film study on useprobowl. Yes. Plug, plug. plug. All righty, let's go to uh, our last caller in the queue. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
1: Hello, how you guys doing?
2: Good.
1: Yeah, I was supposed to make it uh, really quick. It kind of seems like Clay Helton is more of a group of five coach instead of a power five coach. Does that make sense? And also, this probably goes against Ryan's thoughts, but what do you think about the NFL's hot name of Chris Richard coming back to the
4: cockpit?
0: Hang up on him. (laughs) No, thanks for the call. Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, Clayton hadn't been a head coach before, so his first job was not just a power five. It was a top five job. So, um, yeah, I don't don't know. I'm not sure where, you know, if, if USC and Clayton part ways where he would, And up and uh, no, you're going to hire an NFL coordinator who's never been a college head coach. That makes absolutely no sense. You can't do that. Maybe if you had had a great run of something, but no, you need a college guy who's been a head coach, who's won at a major program. You can't afford to go and throw out prospects on someone that's never been a head coach before. I know he's a hot name and everything, and that's fine. But he's not in college and he's never been a head coach. USC can't afford to take those kind of chances at this point because of all the bad hires they've made before. <laughs> is that, is that is blunt enough for you? Yes. Sorry.
3: Not a terrible candidate, though. Just saying.
0: Um, no, yes. I'm just saying. Terrible I'm candidate. Just terrible. Not for other programs. For what USC needs right now, you cannot afford to hire someone I, I'm not referencing who's not been to a USC. Head
3: coach. I said as a candidate. It's not a terrible candidate. I didn't say there's oh, no, yeah, no, There's he, no job opening
0: he, at USC, so how could I be referencing the he USC? He might get an NFL head coaching job, but I think it'd be great. That's fine. But you can't do that. It's like it's NFL, it's not college, and USC can't afford that right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, we have a question from Jesse, our resident UCLA fan who watches the show. He said, what do you guys think about players posting highlights or pictures of themselves after a game uh, which they lose?
0: Not not a huge fan. I haven't
3: seen anyone actually post highlights. You know, if someone posts a picture on Instagram, which is a social media platform that is about posting pictures, I don't have a problem with it. Now, if they actually someone has cut their highlights and they post that, that may be a little bit different. I I got this question a couple. You've seen that? Yes. See that? I would have an issue with that. uh, If I'm the coach, more than I don't personally, I, I don't care what the players post.
0: I think the issues are like they don't feel like. And if the, when the players do that, it's like players is players. But, like, the coaches aren't making the fans feel like losses hurt. You know, they, the coaches are making fans feel like losses are okay. We'll explain it away. We'll just get better. We'll watch the film, and then we'll go back. And, and I think that's why they're going to be more sensitive to what players are doing. Because if they feel that coaches don't really – don't seem to care as much about the loss, then they want the players or something to do. I think that's where this is coming from. They're players. They're doing this for free. Like, you know, put – Put pictures up, like you said, if you want. But I think that's yep. why this is—they feel like the coaches aren't taking the as as seriously or as hard as they would like as the the fans are taking it. it seems like. Yep. I think that, that I mean, the coaches take it hard, but they they're not getting that impression as the 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 vibe I'm getting from fans.
2: I guess he, here's my question that I debate a lot: Is like, does it matter what coach speak the coaches say? Ultimately, like, if Clay were to say this and still get it done, does it really matter? Like. They probably still believe what you're saying. They still are probably hurt after the loss. Does it matter that they explicitly don't say it?
0: I think it matters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we go back to that Tim Tebow speech. You remember that? Like you remember like him saying like You're never going to see another you know fight and blah blah blah. And, like, and he was right. They went on this kind of run, but that rallied people around him. And like you, you know, that was something that you felt the passion. Like that guy gets it. Even if he fails, I'm going to follow that guy. You know, and and you're not getting that kind of feel from what the coach speak that you're getting
3: and in that he was wearing a logo that would eventually become his company and he's earned a lot of money from it but yet he doesn't want the players to be paid which is interesting just throwing it out there True. yes um let's go to rapid fire though
2: sure we're not done we already did rapid fire what
3: we have four minutes right
2: Sunday, sure. we got eight
3: thirty-six.
2: Sure, shotgun. Let's did, go. Did we
3: answer the question, the Jacqueline? You met, You highlighted it, but I don't believe we answered it. What was the breakdown? Of the eighty-nine-yard run from Washington. It seems like the defense as a whole. You said it was play well. Chase, yeah, yeah. Chase Williams you took a bad it, angle, missed the tackle there. So that's
2: why I highlighted.
3: It. Okay, sorry, I didn't know if we would ask it. Uh, Is it too late to cancel the Alabama game next season? Yes, that there'd be a lot of money if you canceled that for USC to pay out true, for breaking but. a contract. Question, is Bryce Young's commitment to Alabama just for more exposure, or is it legit? I watched them in D.C. this week. Yeah, it's legit. I I talked to him last Monday. Yes, very legit. He still likes USC, though. Nothing nothing but positive things. If USC
0: hired Urban Meyer, maybe you might get him back.
3: Question, do you think David Shaw could be a possibility? Because Stanford seems to be on the downward path. Is that why you want
0: to hire him? He's on the downward path.
3: Even if USC had a job opening right now, I don't think David Shaw's Leaving Stanford anytime soon, no. might, he would have to be forced out before he's leaving. Do you guys think they'll make a coach change before they hire a new AD? That's a question we've kind of been getting, you know, back and forth. Is like, can you hire a coach prior to AD? I don't Some, think someone so. else asked later is like, why doesn't the interim AD go out and get Urban Meyer, and then that way he can vie for the spot? Like, well, he may not be allowed to, and it might be like, you want to hire a coach? That's great. Too bad we're not hiring right. anyone
0: yet. That would be very USC. You want to you want to let the the athletic director hire the coach. So you, you can't do that beforehand.
3: Trek asks, why can't the offense take the underneath receiver and work their way down the field? Seems like they don't have the patience to do that. I don't necessarily know if it's a patience thing.
0: They've done it, though. They've, They've
3: done, done it that. sometimes, yeah. And I think that it's the has has the defense changes throughout the game. Why can't we run the spread with a tight end, Austin says? They use a tight end yeah. all, like 60 or 70% of the time. I think like
0: three catches by tight ends, right? It was like yeah. two Chromanoke, one follow or vice versa or something. I don't know. There was... They got a little run. You got some love. There was another question about Jude Wolf being involved. You know,
3: the freshman not playing is not why. No, the tight end's not catching more balls. If or Jude that.
0: Wolf would have played. USA would be five and zero. Oh. Okay. Right.
3: There was a question: Would if JT Daniels had played, would they be five and zero, oh? Would they be four and one if he was still healthy?
2: I don't think they I, lose another time to BYU.
3: I think you have one of those two records. I don't think you're three. And but two. you
0: could have lost one of the other ones. So you
2: could have.
3: Yeah, but. I'm taking a guy that's got experience. Yeah. Sure. I, I noticed that Saban runs his team like the military helped not so much is the sloppy penalties a direct result of this. I mean. I...
2: The weird thing about the penalties is I feel like the dam's breaking a little bit if you will. I feel like it like the self-control the self-discipline is kind of. Getting it. Worked, worse the each first game. Cu- it worked the first was, couple games. Yeah, at the beginning, I think it was a message that was clear. And I think the longer they go in the season, they're kind of forgetting that a little bit. But reverting
0: back to their tenants. And I think that's yes. like, you know, are you gonna really get on Matt Fink for spiking the ball? Like he scored a touchdown, he's gotta be freaking excited. He, that. he
2: felt really bad on the sideline. I know. Like, and players it, but, were like, it's okay. <laughs>
0: right. But you don't want to get on him for that. But there's you know, or Talano Hufunga coming onto the field. But I think The way USC is now, you have to be so buttoned up and they just don't seem to be buttoned up. There's going to be these loose edges and you're going to have plays like that happen. Two
3: two left, Uh, AKA Boone says, USC has always been the more talented team the more talented players. These last two classes plus the current class are weak. Are we still going to be the most talented team next year? If not, we're screwed. With the recruiting class as it currently is, and it obviously could change. They could they, they could go on a run. There's still guys that are looking at USC or seeing what happens at USC. But if it stays where it is right now, then you're going to have to coach a lot better because you're not going to have as many special players. You're not going to have impact players coming in in the freshman class. Right yeah. now, there's no impact players that are committed. Not. Um, I, I mean, Joshua Jackson could be a guy that plays as a freshman, but the rest of the group is all three-star guys, and you know they're, they're offensive linemen that are smaller guys that are going to have to bulk up. I don't think any of those offensive linemen are playing immediately. You know, Maybe Jamar Sakona comes in, but that would depend on the defensive line in front of him. I don't think there's really room for him to come in. So as of right now, you're going to have to coach better because you're going to lose some of your stars from this year's team, and you're not going to get a bunch of impact players coming in.
0: Yeah, but last year's class wasn't ranked as high, but they still had impact players. And, mm-hmm. and getting Chris Steele and Brew McCoy to come back into the fold – that would have bumped them up from, like, number 20 to number 14. So it was more except now number 62. But that's one bad class, and it's not a big class because you don't need – they're not filling 25 rides for this one. So it's not like they're going to go from the number four roster in the country to number 25, but they'll drop down some for sure. But they, they still might be the most talented roster on their schedule. I mean, it'll be closer, but, like, they're not – they won't going be top four like they've been in the last couple of years.
3: And the last one, a couple – People ask this of you, Ryan. Which era is most frustrating for you, being that you were around Helton, Hackett, or Smith? And uh, Jasper said it was Smith for him because of the winless streak versus Notre Dame and the jump start of the eight losses to UCLA. How old is Jasper Smith?
2: Sorry. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah,
3: though. That was rough. Um, But, you know, Ryan also probably has a very different perspective of them. I mean, I was a student. Versus now covering the team. Uh, Yeah, but Larry
0: Smith went to three straight Rose Bowls and, you know, won one. But, you know, there was that. But then he kind of didn't recruit after that. There was a lot of Tolner people that were kind of upset. Hackett was – that was different. I mean, he worked those guys, like, to the bone. And they were frustrated because then they they stunk. And some of his comments, even after, you know, Pete Carroll went on his run and, you know, wins the Orange Bowl after his second year – Hackett was like, well, I had a five-year plan. It was hired after fired after three years. Like, yeah, you would have been Orange Bowl champions after after two more years of that. So they're all unique. Um Clay Helton did some really good things. You know, winning the Rose Bowl. You won the Pac-12. But there's, yeah, there I, I don't I feel like the rest of the administration was more bought in before. So it's a combination of maybe not having the strongest head coach and having an administration that had a hand in that where they didn't really want a strong head coach. I think now the culture around the program is probably more frustrating than I've seen it even back then, if that makes sense.
3: Is Jordan Rice ever returning for the Notre Dame? That's the target, the same My with goal. Elijah Winston.
0: Yeah, we'll see if he's at practice this week.
3: Why does USC not run a jet sweep? Because they run a pop pass instead if they're in a the shotgun. You have to run a jet sweep out of a under center.
2: And I think that's going to wrap it up. We had people come into the YouTube and go, you guys are still on. I thought I missed it. So <laughs> we're going. We're going long today. We uh, did long. We have a to lot do. to talk about. We didn't do
0: an emergency podcast, so we had to do kind of, like, kind of like the fill in a little little extra time.
2: Yeah. There you go. Uh, and speaking of which, extra long because it is is week, and we're not having a live show on Thursday. So uh, we'll be back on Sunday, though, right? I mean, Ryan.
0: Sunday sounds good. Yeah.
2: Hey, so we'll be back next Sunday uh, to talk about USC football, but we're getting a bye week, too, on Thursday. So just a uh, heads up about that. But thanks so much for watching. Thanks for all the calls, comments, questions, concerns we got. Hopefully we gave you guys some, some free therapies from free USC therapy. Uh, but that's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next Sunday. Bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in.